have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have one, I believe we put the Bibles back in the pews in front of you, and you're welcome to open up to Matthew chapter 6. That's before all in the same place. Uh, and we pick up uh, this morning in our series that we've been looking at the, during the, the summer, uh, off and on, at least for the first part of the, the Lord's Prayer. When we began this series, I, I mentioned uh, that the, the Lord's Prayer actually has a, a pattern to it that uh, some are, are not aware of, not, but it's easy to see. Uh, it, it follows the pattern of, of, the, uh, of the Ten Commandments. As most people that are students of the Bible know, the Ten Commandments are said to have two tables. The, the first table, uh, the first four commandments are uh, commands on how we are to relate to our God. Uh, and then the second table uh, contains the commands on how we're to live our lives uh, in this world in, in relationship uh, to one another. Well, the Lord's Prayer also has two tables. The, the first three petitions uh, are uh, about our, our relationship with God. Um, hallowed be your name, uh, your uh, will be done, your, your kingdom come. Uh, all our relationships and prayers about, uh, about God's glory and God being at work. And we don't move on from God, but the last three, we begin the, the first of the second table of the Lord's Prayer today. Uh, but the last three are about our experience in this life and uh, in relationship to God, but, uh, but our, our common common things uh, that we deal with today. We, we look at God's provision, and then we'll get to God's protection. There's also uh, the issue of, of reconciliation, so uh, which we'll, we'll look at uh, next week. Uh, but this morning, we will focus our attention on Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. Uh, but for the sake of context, I'll begin reading in verse 5. So here the word of our God. When you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give thanks to you this day. We give thanks for the privilege to come into your presence. We give thanks to you for the freedom to do so openly, freely. We give thanks to you for the celebration, for the joy, for the laughter that we've experienced, uh, not at your expense, but because uh, it's a response to your gift to us. But I pray even now as we commit these next, uh, this next time period uh, to you, we would honor you by giving ear to your word. Enable us by your spirit to understand. Give us the ability to think about the, what it says and, and the implications of it. I pray that it would not only be something that we would learn and to know, uh, but that it would also uh, be by your spirit applied to our lives, shine a light into our own hearts, into our own attitudes. May we know ourselves as you know, 
so that your truth may confront and shape us, that it would correct areas that are out of accord with your way and would reinforce those things in which uh, we are already aligned. But in all things, Lord, use this word to build us up into maturity and knit us together as your covenant community to the glory and to the praise of your grace. This is our prayer. We offer it in the name of Christ, our Redeemer, our King, and the living word. Amen. I am a fan of bread. Many types. I know not everyone here is. I know that there are some who, whether for health reasons or for personal preference, have eliminated gluten from their, your diets, and I respect that. I'm not anti, anti-gluten, or I'm not anti-gluten-free. I'm just saying that if we go to lunch someplace like Food for Thought, and they say, would you like some of our homemade bread? I'm going to say, yes, please. <laughs> And if they come back again and ask if you'd like more, I might say, yes, please, again, I don't know. And if you're gluten-free, I will apologize to you, but I'll be glad that it's mine and not yours. (laughs) Now, that said, I have had to cut back, and I am cutting back significantly so that I lessen the likeness of the Pillsbury Doughboy. But, um, But I like bread. Bread has a great history. It's been significant throughout uh, world history and in many, many cultures. Its significance is, is, and sometimes it's not just religious, but sometimes it's cultural. The breaking of bread, particularly in in the Middle East, is is significant. It it speaks volumes, just the fact that people would sit down and and break bread together. And in many cultures, uh, both ancient and primitive cultures that are, are still around today, uh, bread is significant. It's, it's, a, it's a staple of the diet because uh, within different types of breads, all of the nutrients necessary for survival can be, uh, um, can be absorbed, can be consumed uh, simply in the eating of bread. So we, we have that uh, idea of people having bread and water, which is a punishment in our culture, but uh, in, in places where things are difficult to come by, food is scarce, bread and water would be highly, highly valued because it is a sufficient for a sustaining diet. That attitude about bread, the need for bread and the benefits of bread was certainly true people in Jesus' day and at the time that he was teaching. And because bread wasn't so easy to necessarily come by, it took labor to make. And because you know, food, not scarce, but it was not as plentiful as we might think in our minds, uh, there, was, there was a great value to it. And so, and so when, when we think about when Jesus was offering uh, these words in the Sermon on the Mount, it, it really makes sense. It's not hard for us to understand why Jesus would say, when you pray, pray to God like this. And, and part of the prayers is pray that we would have the bread that we need today so that we can be sustained, that we can feed our families. But that is not our experience, is it? I mean, in Jesus' day, they had really no way to preserve bread for a long time. They didn't have refrigeration. And so when you made a meal, when you made bread today, you you ate it today because tomorrow it would probably be uh, no longer edible. Um, 
It, it could even be toxic to somebody's system. But we have all sorts of refrigeration. We have all sorts of ways in which we can preserve our bread. We even have grocery stores that we can go to at any time, pretty much, and get bread. And I know there's been some exceptions. I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking back to a, a time a couple of years ago. Uh, Carolyn sent me to Harris Teeter. We were going to have lunch, and so I went to Harris Teeter to pick up some bread for the sandwiches that we were going to have for lunch. And as I stood there before the shelves of, uh, of the bread, the only thing left were a couple of packages of Hawaiian rolls and some flour tortillas. And I kind of stood there for a moment and I thought, it seems a little warm for there to be a snow forecast. Why is this empty? And I still was kind of pondering it. And then up walks uh, Tim Cleary. Uh, for those who don't know, Tim's one of the deacons in our church. And Tim um, had a shopping cart, relatively full. And he, he's, he said, you know, he looked a little unnerved, which is unusual for, for Tim. And, and he said, he, you know, better get what you can get because I just heard they're going to shut down the whole country. Okay. Well, they didn't have what I needed at the time, so I went home, told Carolyn. Um, I didn't fail. There was no bread to be had there. Um, and then I told her this odd thing that Tim said to me, which was, they're going to shut down the whole country. And I thought, I don't see how they can do that. You know, but if it's unnerving Tim Cleary, then, you know, better safe than sorry. So we went to another store, and then to another store, and then to another store, and we're unable to find any bread, and they then somehow did shut down the whole country, much to uh, my somewhat surprise. So, Tim, if you're here, you were right. I was wrong. Um, and we all experienced that. We experienced that, that, that idea of, we don't know if we're going to be able to get bread. And the only other time we get it is when a storm, is, when a hurricane is coming. Or, uh, you know, but for the most part, our experience is, we probably have freezers in our garage and bread there. And if it's not there, we can go to the grocery store any time of night. Uh, we can go and we can pick up everything we need. So while it's understandable that Jesus would instruct his followers in that day to pray for the bread that they need, why do we need to be praying here in the 21st century? Why, do, why should we be praying such a prayer? Now, now, maybe the first question we need to ask is, what, what's this bread that Jesus is telling us to, to pray for. I mean, it's, it's helpful to know what it is that we're praying for, uh, and knowing that might be helpful in understanding the significance uh, that this prayer continues to have for us today, uh, just as it was then. Now, there are some who spiritualize uh, this prayer, our daily bread, and I, I suspect it's primarily a Western issue as more and more food becomes readily available and easy to come by. Um, we're, we're trying to find significance in this. And, and so remembering some of the things that Jesus said, first of all, uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And they're saying what we need is, we need is a regular diet of God's word, which we absolutely do. And others might remember that Jesus himself declared that I am the bread of life. And so what they would say is, what I need is more of Jesus. And that's also absolutely true. And I don't want to minimize either of those things. The, there's a, there, there certainly is appropriate to have a spiritual dimension to what Jesus is asking us to pray here, because we do need a regular diet of the word, and we do need more of Jesus over every single day. Uh, but to limit or even to make that, uh, assume that that is the primary thing in focus here is to kind of read into the text and then adopt the text and then force it to fit into our experience, our culture, rather than to allow the simple prayer to shape us and to bring us into, uh, into God's way of doing things, God's culture. 
that actually transcends all time, all place, all experience. And see, the reality is when Jesus is saying, pray, give us this day our daily bread, Jesus has in mind bread. Almost every Bible scholar would say that, that he has in mind actual bread. Now, some of the reasons some people think that that can't be what he has in mind is because we still buy this ancient, um, whether we may not embrace it you know, consciously, but there is this idea that somehow God's interested in the spiritual things and not necessarily with the physical things. One of the things that Jesus is saying here is everything belongs to God. Our whole lives belong to God and everything we have comes from God. And so this prayer is a reminder of who God is and he is our provider. He provides everything we need, not just the salvation that we need that so one day we can go to heaven, not just the presence of Jesus, which is incredible and is necessary, but everything we have it comes from him. And so there's nothing that is too small. And even praying, Lord, give us our daily bread is a reminder that God is good and God is the one from whom all blessings flow. And praying for our bread, praying for our necessities, our needs is not too small. But with that said, there is also more here than perhaps we might uh, necessarily consider. Listen to uh, what um, Bible scholar um, Frederick Dale Bruner says. In, in, in doing this, he's kind of parroting and, and paraphrasing Martin Luther, but he says something significant that will help us to understand or get a, a better apprehension of what is here that Jesus is inviting us to pray. And he says this, bread costs money. Money requires work. Work requires good government, good business, and good labor. Thus, when we pray for bread, we are praying at the same time for everything necessary for the, uh, for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, spouse, children, good government, and peace, and that God preserve us from all sorts of calamities, pestilence, hard times, war, revolution, and the like. There's a lot that's in there, but the short, what he's saying is, while this, Jesus is saying, pray for bread, and, and it's not just the spiritualizing, he's saying pray for actual bread. He's saying that also when we're praying for bread, we ought to be mindful that that prayer is to pray for everything that is necessary for making the bread. And it goes beyond just the baker and the ingredients in the grocery store where you buy them. It goes to the farmer. It goes to, well, maybe not the weatherman because he's never right anyway, but the, you know, it, it goes to the truck drivers. It goes to, to bring them from place to place. And then you just continue and continue on. We pray for those who will eat it with us. We pray for, uh, there is a lot. When you think of and just allow your mind to go is who possibly is affected in the piece of bread that you might have with your sandwich or the hot dog bun that you might have with uh, your hot dog this afternoon and allow it to go. What, what I think that, that Brunner and Luther are saying is correct, that pray for our daily bread is prayer for bread, but it's also prayer for everything that goes into that. And so while it is simple in the sense that it is praying for bread, it is robust and it is extensive in the fact that it is praying for much, much more at the same time. And in addition to that is the spiritual element of recognizing that we do need a diet of the word and we need more of Jesus. And so Jesus is saying we are to be praying for our daily bread. But what's this daily thing? Give to us 
our daily bread. And it's right, this passage would be rightly translated and some uh, have translated this way, some uh, paraphrased translations, but in this case, it's accurate. We would rightly understand this passage to say, give us this day what we need for this day. And some would say, depending on the culture and how things go when people prepare for the next day, give us this day what we need for tomorrow. Uh, But it is really the immediacy And I think what Jesus is saying to his disciples then and saying to those of us who would be his followers today is that there is an expectation, there is a need for us, even who are living today, to have the same kind of dependent experience upon God as God's people had as they wandered in the wilderness. Now, that story is probably familiar to many of you, but perhaps not to everyone. You can find it in Exodus and part of Numbers. I particularly appreciated the way that author Betsy Childs Howard Um, retells it in an article that she wrote that's titled, You Can't Buy Manna at Costco. Listen to what she says so that we're kind of all on the same page, remembering uh, the the way uh, that God's people had to um, rely on God when they were in their wilderness wandering. The Israelites grumbled because they had no food. So God gave them manna from heaven. The flaky food would appear on the ground in the morning, and they could gather as much as they liked, but it didn't do any good to store it up. With the exception of the Sabbath Eve, when they were allowed to gather the next day's portion as well, uh, they kept manna overnight. Uh, If they kept manna overnight, it became full of worms with a terrible smell. I'm sure they didn't make that mistake more than a couple of times. And so, as you know, uh, when Israel was wandering, they had no ovens, they had no way of making uh, the bread for themselves. How were they going to provide? God, who is our provider, he provided for them every single day. He provided manna for them uh, so that they would be able to be sustained. Manna in in the wilderness. It came every day, and as, uh, as Howard describes, you know, the instruction was, take as much as you want, but... Don't store it up. Don't. Uh, it, it's only good. It expires. A real expiration date, not like our FDA ones. And then Howard goes on and says this. It is a great feeling when you can stock up on food and paper products at a wholesale store and know that you won't have to go back for months. But God doesn't allow us to stock up on his grace. He gives it to us one day at a time just as he gave his people manna. And just as they waited for daily bread for 40 years, we wait on daily grace for a lifetime. And so the whole point that I think that Jesus is making here by saying pray for our daily bread, it's not that um, we can't pray for more, but he's focusing on the fact that we, like the people of old, need to live our lives day in and day out on total dependence upon God, his grace, and his provision. Now, I, I want to be clear here before I, I, I elaborate on that. This is not saying that wealth is bad, and for those who have been wise, you work hard, and you live beneath your means, and you store things, and you know there, there are certain aspects of this. This is not an anti-capitalist uh, passage or, or verse, as some people are uh, inclined to apply it. This is not an anti-wealth as in, you know, rich people, which includes pretty much all of us based on world economy, are somehow bad. I, I like the way that Dallas Willard puts it in The Divine Conspiracy because he not only addresses that issue, but he puts it back where we need to, to be. And he says this, it's, 
quite all right to have things now that uh, uh, now that we in, intend to use. Uh, let me refer, start again. Pretend like I didn't stutter like that. Um, it's quite all right to have things now that we intend to use tomorrow and to work or even pray in a sensible way for them. What hinders or shuts down kingdom living is not the having of such provisions, but rather the trusting in them for future security. We have no real security for the future in them, but only in the God who is present with us each day. It's important to recognize, particularly for most of us, because some of you might shut me down just by the fact that I'm talking about this and even figure out where I'm going to be going and it doesn't kind of fit your lifestyle. But I think what Willard says is true. The problem is not that what we have necessarily. The problem is when we have, particularly when we have in great abundance, it is very difficult for us not to just rest in that trust in that provision. We might thank God for the ability to store it up, but day in and day out, we have less felt need to trust in God. He's already given us everything. I'll get back, you know. We might not say it, but mindset is kind of like, I'll get back to you when I have another need. And God's love for his people is so great that that's not appropriate. You wouldn't want that in your spouse. You know, it's great to see you. I've got everything I need. I'll be back when I need more. And we who are the bride of Christ, God says, that's not the way I want to live my life with you either. I want daily dependence. I want you to be daily dependent upon me. Or we are daily dependent. I want you to recognize that you are daily dependent upon me. Now, I'm going to confess, I don't really like this idea and the feeling of being dependent. It just seems somehow anti-adult. Now, there is a place for maturity. God seems to be in favor of that. It works better in life. And there's a sense I can spiritualize this and not really think about, you know, of course I want to be dependent on God. Of course I'm dependent on, on God in a, in a general sense. But, you know, deep down what I want is I want to be, I want to grow up. I want to be self-sufficient. I want to be self-reliant. And if God would grant me the ability to be self-sufficient and grow up, I, I want to be benevolent as well. I want, to, I want to do things, do good things for other people. I want to not need God but do good things for God. If that's probably where my heart goes to a lot of times when I, I want or when I fear that I might not have what I need. My mind kind of goes that way. Just that's where I am. Maybe it's just me, but I, I suspect others of you might have that same kind of, of mindset. I, I, deep down, I, the idea of being dependent, my mind goes, I, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a burden in years to come for my kids. I don't want to be a burden on my parents. I you know, should have grown up by now and, you know, not need to get an allowance anymore. Um, but what the Bible says over and over again is that your need is not a burden to God. And some of you have adult children with disabilities. Some of you may come from families where that's the case. Now, when our children are coming into the world, there is a great fear for all of us. Can we handle it? It would be too big for us. But I know of no parents with children of disabilities, even if the child is 40, 50 years old. Well, when they look at their life and they look what they have, they're thinking, yeah, that just whole thing was just a burden. Because love overrides that. Certainly it's a challenge. 
love overrides that, and that certainly is the case of God. Your need, my need, is not a burden to God because of the great love that he has for us. And the Bible also teaches us this, that apart from needing someone outside of ourselves, we can't even be saved. Do you think about that? If we're not willing to be dependent and to embrace the fact that we are in needing of somebody else to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. We can't experience salvation because salvation is the recognition that I can't help myself. Someone else, in this case, the the person of Jesus Christ, had to come and do what I did not do for me to accomplish what I could not do for myself. It's total dependence upon someone else to achieve something that I need but I can't do. And so if we have a mindset that we must be independent, we must be self-reliant, that itself necessarily excludes the whole issue of salvation. And when I am of that mindset, you know, other than that, I like the salvation thing, but when I'm of the mindset that I just, I just want to be self-sufficient, I, wanna, I want God to bless me so much that I don't need God anymore, I'm embracing the same mindset that our first parents, Adam and Eve, embraced when they fell, wasn't it? They were told, you can be like God. And they weren't necessarily thinking, good, I don't want to get rid of this guy. I want to get rid of this God. They thought, well, I can be like him, and then we'll be equal, and then we'll have more fellowship. The reality is they destroyed the fellowship they had because they violated the very way that they were created. And so if we're not willing to embrace God's grace and God's provision, we actually shipwreck ourselves. It's important, particularly for those who have received Jesus Christ. We, we can have that salvation, but still, in a very deep way, um, have operating within us this, this kind of like a, a computer virus, like a virus within us that chafes at our neediness and our lack of independence. We are dependent, and independence is our life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and I came to give it to you abundantly. And we think, okay, the only way I can have that is I don't have these shackles on me. And I don't know who first came up with this illustration. I remember reading it in an article long ago in busy week and I didn't have a chance to research it uh, to remember who where the article was. So this is my caveat so that I'm not plagiarizing. Uh, It's not original with me. But if you can forget that last part and it seems like a brilliant illustration, I think it is, then it's mine. But anyway, that's... um, But the author said this, imagine that a kite could somehow come to life. And that kite now being alive, being able to think and being able to feel and to be able to experience life, no doubt would find a great exhilaration of soaring high above the plane. You know, being able to see far, far away and find enjoyment in dashing and darting this way, diving and then soaring back again. The kite doing what a kite does is going to find a lot of great joy in being able to do what a kite is created and designed to do. But if a kite came to life and was doing all that, it wouldn't take very long for the kite to then recognize that there's just kind of this this thing that feels incredibly restrictive. 
this thing that is preventing them from doing whatever they want. It seems to be limiting. When they want to go higher, there's this, the, the higher they want to go, there's this tension that they have, and it's this string. And the kite, if the kite was like any of us, would probably begin to start thinking, I love what I get to do, but if I could just get rid of this string, this, this tension, I could really soar because this thing is holding me down. This thing is keeping me back. And so the kite would want to get rid of the string. And yet what happens to a kite that is no longer attached to the string? What happens to a kite that doesn't have tension uh, in, in the rope? It crashes because the kite is designed only to soar when it is tied to the string and that there is tension in that string. The same thing is true for you and for me. We might have this idea that somehow if I could just become unshackled, if somehow I could just be set free, then I could really live that life of abundance that Jesus said that he came for us to have. He came to set me free. Why do I feel like I'm just tied? I'm dependent upon God. And the reality is, unless we are tied to God, unless we are living our lives in dependence upon him, and in sometimes even when it feels like a tension because our sin pulls against God's righteousness, without that tension, we would not soar, we would crash because we were created and we were designed to live our lives and to flourish and to have uh, do tremendous things, but we can only do so as we are tied, as we are dependent upon our God, like the kite is to a string. And so Jesus says, pray for daily bread, not just bread, but for daily bread. We need to pray for that because it's important for us. And one other thing, as far as this, the importance of daily here uh, that we have in this particular passage, we need to ask ourselves how our lives would be different if we really embraced this truth. Now, if you think about it, most of the problems we have, at least most of the emotional problems that, uh, that you and I have or the challenges that we have are due to disappointments in the past or fears or anxieties in the future. This petition, give us our daily bread, unshackles us from yesterday and tomorrow, and it anchors us in today. Think about how your life would be different if you were getting up every single day and pray, not just going through the words, but pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And give me today what I need for today. Doesn't matter how you failed yesterday. Doesn't matter what's coming up tomorrow. But I need what I need today. And that doesn't have to be limited to just bread and food. Remember, this prayer is for everything that is necessary for the sustaining of life. So it may be I need the emotional energy so that I can go about my day and work. It may be that I need wisdom because I've got to deal with situation or, or people that could get ugly or frightens me because I, I don't know what to do. Give me what I need today. How would your life be different if you were to pray that? And Jesus is rooting us in today. He says tomorrow's got enough problems of its own. It's not that it's wrong to make plans, but our focus is to be today. Now, one more thing that I, I need to touch on, and it actually would be, well, a message in itself. But the Lord says, you know, what if we're praying for bread? What if we're praying for daily bread? But there's two words here that are also significant, that are easy to overlook. Give to us our daily bread. 
And Puritan Thomas Watson says this, the word our is a reminder that we are not to seek only our own welfare, but also the welfare of others, our family, our neighbors, and the peoples of the nations. See, our indicates a significant thing. It reminds us that we're not alone. We're not designed to be alone. We are created to live in community, and therefore, community itself means shared unity. We are designed to have communion, to, to be one, to share that oneness, not just with one another, but those who are Christians, to share the oneness with the bread of life uh, and in the bread of life. And there is to be a, a oneness. And this passage in the hour is not even really restricted to just the, the believer with the believer, though certainly that is an important uh, perspective here. But it is our, really in a sense of, of humanity. And our is reflected in what we mentioned a, a little while ago. Our is reflected when we recognize that we are praying, not just to provide bread for me and that I can feed to my family. Our is prayer for the people who stocked it, the people who baked it, the people who delivered it, the people who grew the wheat, the people. Our is inclusive of everyone, and some of those everyone are not Christians. But we pray because the church is the one institution that doesn't exist primarily for itself. It exists for the glory of God, the good of the, of the neighbor. And when we get that right, well, then we find the most joy in our community with one another as well. And the word our here is simple, but it is also significant because it turns our attention just from our own self-absorption, which our culture feeds and says that I'm part of something bigger. I'm not insignificant, I'm not unimportant, but I am part of something that is bigger, something that God has done and what God is doing. If you think about the significance of praying for others, my mind automatically goes to Jesus' prayer in John 17, it's known as his high priestly prayer. And as he's praying, as he's praying, then he stops and he brings clarification as if God the Father didn't understand. He says, I'm not just praying for them, in other words, the people in the church, the ones that already have made profession. I'm praying also for those that are not yet of this fold, those that you have given me but are not yet part of this fold. Well, Jesus may know who those are, but you and I don't. And so our prayers for our neighbors and our prayers for the nations when we pray for our daily bread is part of what Jesus is doing and praying for bringing in those who are gonna to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And because we don't know, we also pray for God's grace, God's provision, just to be indiscriminate all over the world because one of two things happens. Either it is the means by which God brings people to himself they recognize his goodness, and they recognize their need for grace, and then ultimately they trust in the bread of life, and they become part of the covenant family. Or God having been so generous in providing their daily sustenance, the rejection of him, uh, his rejection of them is clearly justified. We don't like that part, but that's, that's the, the logic. If you try to help somebody and you keep offering them something, they keep rejecting it, well, you know, our hearts ache, but it's not your fault. And so our is significant because it turns our attention from ourselves. Again, going back to Bible scholar Frederick Dale Brunner, he says this, the hour in this petition serves two useful purposes. One, it teaches us to pray for other people's bread, not just for our own. And second, it teaches us to work because the hour points to needful labor without which the bread that we eat is not ours, but another's. In other words, if you're able to work and you're capable of working and, and you don't work, I think Brunner's right, it says, well then you get bread and God may provide it, but you're providing it at somebody else's expense. He's given us the ability to work, the ability to do things. That's part of the production of bread in the first place. And the hour not only says pray for others, but it reminds us that we have a job to do. We have responsibilities 
to participate so that we are participating in the making of this bread, even though very few of us probably can make bread from scratch. What you do, what we do, contributes to that. This passage may be, this verse is simple, but it may be far more pregnant than what we would imagine. This petition is a, a call to simplicity. This petition is a call to social discipleship and to community and communion. This petition is a prayer, as one Bible scholar says, for social justice. And I just know that made some of you cringe. But um, God has God is just, so there is justice, and justice is the way that we live with one another, so justice is social. I'm not using the way that that's a whole several messages, but if I just triggered you because I use the word social justice, we probably need to talk because this passage is telling us that it is important. It's one of the reasons why we had Mimi here today. You think about it and all that we've said about what's implied in here, Habitat for Humanity. Well, besides those who bring lunch, what's that got to do with bread? Well, where are people going to usually eat their bread? At a table, in their home, with their family. And so when you participate in Habitat for Humanity, you are working to fulfill some of the implications of this prayer. It's one of the reasons why the study that Tim and Allie are going to do in terms of confronting injustice without compromising truth is so important. And I hope all of you show. I hope they have no room uh, for that. And I've not only read it when it first came out, but I had the opportunity this spring to do a reading with a, a group online once a week with the author of that, Thaddeus Williams. And so it's not just a plug, although it is a shameless plug, but it's not just a plug for that. Because what they talk about is the hands, it's the feet of living out the implications of this prayer, prayer for daily bread, not just for us, but for others. This is a call for our fellowship with God. Scotty Smith, who was actually my youth pastor, wrote this, give us today our daily bread. It's daily dependence upon and fellowship with our Father. It is a discipline and it is a delight. For both physical sustenance and spiritual nourishment, we remain needy, expectant, and grateful. The question is whether you or I are willing to become independent from the cultural declaration of absolute independence. We're willing to look weird to other people by acknowledging and even rejoicing in our dependence upon God. Let me finish with these words. It's a prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Now, some of you think that that was probably written by a touchy-feely, heartfelt, you know, social justice warrior. Those are the words that were recorded by Solomon in Proverbs 30. May God give us what we need today. May we rejoice in him as we find great delight and joy and power in trusting in him. To him be glory. Father, we give thanks to you this day for all of your provision, which are so numerous, we can't even really count them. But for what we do know and what we do thank, are thankful for, we do give you thanks. And I pray that you would impress upon us not only the implications of this prayer as we pray it, but that you would draw from us the desire to express all that this passage, this verse, this petition implies. And we might find our joy 
in it because we find our delight and our provision from you. And we trust in it because we know that you are love. To you be all praise, we pray in the church and throughout the world. Amen.